get it. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. If you haven't seen the first one, or you haven't seen the second one even, we do have a spoiler warning here at the head of the podcast, because we will be discussing it with spoilers in mind. Lloyd, I had a full cinema. People were loving this film, and it was not just because of Drax, but Drax was a huge part of it. How was <laughs> yes, your screening? I, yeah, I, I shout out to um, Andrew... Samantha, Josh, uh, we sat second from the front row and you actually had to turn your head far left if there was any writing on that side, you know, and if all the close-up shots, we were literally turning our heads. It was a bit nauseating, but that movie was so good. Like, I enjoyed it the whole way through. Drax absolutely stole the show. It was a really fantastic movie. I think James Gunn has a really good thing going there. He's He's got that crew down. He's got that sense of humour down. But the brilliance of James Gunn, which we'll get into, is not only can he you know, utilise that um, sense of humour, just pull it out of nowhere with these really great and colourful characters with awesome direction, but he can make it really tragic and sad at the same time because this is one of the most brutal Marvel movies, uh, I think, ever, with considering how many deaths there are, which is really counterpoint to a lot of the Avengers and Marvel movies which we talk about, which they they just can't die, these Marvel superheroes, because they're worth so much money. But James Gunn is able to write these characters that are so compelling, and when certain characters do die, they have much more of a dramatic effect than what a lot of Marvel movies have given us recently. And I'm not putting down those Marvel movies, but a big thing that it lacks is that the villains just aren't very strong. And I did feel the villain in this, played by Kurt Russell uh, as the Celestial, was uh, fantastic. Yeah, Kurt Russell was really good. And it was fun to see him as a young man in the opening scene of the film. Did you see this in 2D or 3D? 2D. Same. But there were a bunch of scenes that you could feel where the 3D would be, like the funeral pyre scene at the end we'll get to, that sort of um, multi-armed squid thing at the beginning of the film that's kind of doing this rainbow thing at one point. Especially, and you got the on the in the foreground root dancing to the main soundtrack while the credits play over, and then, of course, the battle in the background. Absolutely, that would have been really enhanced by watching it in 3D. Yeah, I can see this being a pretty good 3D film, but uh, yeah, I had the 2D experience as well. Look, Baby Groot, (laughs) this was a lot of fun because obviously from the first Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, he sacrifices himself and he, at the end, is a baby, uh, you know, regrowing. And uh, to use Baby Groot in this film the way they did, he is so cute. I watched this with my wife. It's all you can do not to say I am cute instead of I am Groot. The amount of kind of mannerisms and information and stuff that this animated character gives off, I was very impressed. Yeah, I was thinking easiest paycheck for Vin Diesel, plus how many toys are they going to sell of Groot? You know, the producers were just rubbing their hands together going, oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. This has got merchandising all over it. And I was thinking cosplay. People are going to be cosplaying as all the Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as now this golden army as well. Listen, you're probably right about the amount of death and stuff in this film. 
I did want to point out there was a ton of kids in my screening. Yeah, same. People kept bringing their kids, and I guess it's kind of like a family-friendly Has fun. anyone seen James Gunn's previous work? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you weren't a fan of it at all, Dave, but a brilliant film, which I think you guys should definitely check out, is Super. I think he did a terrific uh, job with that movie, which really deconstructs the superhero genre, and it really showcases how much James James Gunn knows the comic book genre inside and out. And when he was given the opportunity to direct Guardians of the Galaxy, it was just, well, guys, I know this genre inside out, let's play. Yeah, look, we've actually reviewed Super, so if people go to podmeifyoucan.com, you can check out Super, just search for it. It was one of our earlier podcasts, so I can't you know guarantee the quality, but I remember liking some things about it. Look, Let's talk about uh, Kurt Russell here. He was the villain, and for me, I thought that set design, the look of his ship, the look of his planet, even to some effect, like the look of uh, the special effects and everything when he was getting hit, it was all really fantastic. I just had no idea we were going to spend so much time in the third act of the film on that kind of ego's planet. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it is a planet that anyone can go to because it just seemed like everyone knew the coordinates and can get a, get to it relatively relatively easy. Um, you know, it just it seemed like everyone was uh, converged on that planet at the end. I just thought it was like some faraway planet that only he designed and he created, but he's been there since the beginning of time, really. Well, I mean, yeah, he seems to be the oldest being in existence that we know of. Uh, millions of years old and he was just a brain floating around having consciousness which is interesting I did feel like his flashbacks where he told the story of his life they reminded me a lot of um you know Man of Steel where Russell Crowe on the ship had those kind of I guess metally clay looking you know scenes from Krypton (laughs) just sort of showing bit by bit just this exposition for the audience was a little heavy-handed but you know we can live with it Who is your favourite on the Guardians of the Galaxy crew? Okay, well, it's a new person that has been added to it, uh, Nebula. I think uh, she is a fantastic character and her backstory is just absolutely awesome, which I really want to get into, plus her design and the colour the colour that they chose for it, I just absolutely love it. But I just love it how these two great assassins were raised by Thanos and Gamora is the one that's beautiful. She is the one blessed with all the skill, the beauty and everything going for her. And Nebula just, she isn't that as good as her. She's always second best and she is punished for that. She's like this artificial creation for, for perfection and it really brutalizes her physically and also mentally she does have a good heart which is showcased in the third act of the film really when she's saving people and she begins begins to embrace family but she is a person with a good heart that's been really corrupted and beaten down by a very brutal upbringing you know which amazes me how much Gamora turned out so well there might be jealousy there but there's also a sense of reconciliation and I love it how she can heal really quick that's awesome like and how you know they interject um I think some electrical you know, things into it so she can power up the lasers to destroy that Golden City's um, Air Force Armada or whatever. That was really cool. And how much she suffers emotionally and physically just to help out everyone. I thought there was a lot going on there, but definitely Nebula. But but Drax definitely stole the show in terms of comedy. He He's just absolutely brilliant. I think Batista, his comedic timing combined with James Gunn's direction is just an absolute winner. It's the fact that Drax doesn't um, 
understand the mannerisms and the sarcasm and the way people deliver things. He's just brutally honest, 100%. And so you get these, you know, amazing reactions. Like when he's dry heaving, he's imagining sleeping with Mantis and uh, <laughs> the two of them being together and he's just dry heaving like because it's so repellent to him because <laughs> she's so unattractive to act. Just amazing. Um, I, I have thought Nebula would appeal to you. I don't think she really quite ever joins the Guardians. She's sort of there under duress most of the film. But absolutely her relationship with Gamora is such that every time Gamora beat her in a fight, Thanos replaced part of her body with a robotic part, in a way toughening her up for battle and war and so on. And now she's so resentful of Thanos who we didn't see at all in this film, which disappointed me a bit. She's so resentful she wants to kill him. She wanted to kill her sister first and kind of resolve things with her, which was great. You know, that's a good move. The two of them hug. They're always going to be sisters. I so badly wanted her to join the Guardians. So bad, but she's so filled with hate and vengeance. I think that's the only path left for her because physically she's absolutely destroyed and I don't think the scars will ever heal. But there was a brief hope when Gamora hugged her and she embraces her for the smallest bit and then she's off and Gamora understands perfectly why she is the way she is and there's nothing, you know, she can do to stop her. She's just going to be this sharp arrow um, directed in one direction and that's towards Thanos and that'll be most likely towards a death. And if we were to talk about one of our biggest hits in all of YouTube, which is uh, who will Thanos kill next, I'll have Vision and Gamora as the as the two um, that Thanos will kill. I'll you add Gamora Nebula. to the list. Nebula, sorry. I'll add <laughs> Nebula to the list. Yeah, she does seem certain to face off with Thanos, and I'm sure that will happen in Avengers Infinity War. Um, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be after Infinity War. So, What's the old saying? If you're going out for vengeance, dig two graves, one for them, yeah. one for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I don't think Thanos will go, is going anywhere. <laughs> no, I mean, look, they, they're going to build Thanos up so much, I feel like they almost have to let him live for as long as possible to really milk this Thanos uh, storyline. Can we talk about Taserface? <laughs> <laughs> this movie and um, one of the great things it does is introduce the Ravagers. You know, the first film had them. You know, of course, had Yondu, who was the blue-skinned guardian of Chris Pratt's character. Michael Rooker? Yep, Michael Rooker plays him. Here we get to see Stallone, uh, and it's such a strange environment to meet him. We see Howard the Duck. We see this this planet that um, basically is full of robot whores. Yeah, it's a truck um, stop of some sort. <laughs> and I think I caught the name of it. I think it was Contraxia, so which made me think of contracting something, so it's not a clean place. <laughs> the Ravagers have all turned against Yondu. They've basically exiled him and he'll never have the kind of send-off he wants, the kind of warrior funeral and things like that. They all kind of, you know, basically spit in his face. And Yondu is in a very different place than we saw him in the first film. He seems less powerful, um, but he still obviously has that arrow as well. I think Michael Rooker did an amazing job in this. How about you? Yeah, well, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 in the audio commentary, James Gunn said he's done... Um, every movie he's done has been with Michael Rooker, like him, they're like best friends and he's his lucky charm. And he goes, there's no way 
I'm going to do a movie without Michael Rooker. And then he dies at the end of this. I'm like, okay, maybe he's going to come back as a different character in the third one because I'm looking at his IMDb. He is slated to do the third Guardians of the Galaxy. I actually thought that was like a little nod. No, James Gunn is done with Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) But (laughs) with Yondu's character, we'll get to the climax where it's really tragic for Quill. Um, with what happens to all his parents, the revelation of what happened to his mother, and then what really Yondu meant to him. He only realised that at the ending. It's all very tragic. I really like Michael Rooker. I think he's a fantastic character actor. Yondu is such an attractive character. I just think the arrow weaponry is just too powerful and they dwell on some action scenes a bit too much. I would have cut down heavily on that one... um, with Rocket, how he set up, sets up all the traps and then he takes down like so many of the uh, Ravagers. I, I would have cut down that so much. Just maybe he, he booby traps one group and then that's it. And mm-hmm. I would have cut heavily Michael Rooker's Yondu, how he kills almost everyone on that ship. I think it's just way too overpowered. Um, I, 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 I just think it's almost like a Avengers 2 where you got Ultron just chucking all these robots, you know, pointlessly at the Avengers and the Avengers just hacking them all away. I would have had uh, Brad, um, Yondu kill like maybe five or six guys, gets to that place where, you know, he needs to get to and gets out of that ship. I just think that device is a bit ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's all powerful, isn't it? I like um, it how fast Nebula just takes it out, though. I was like, yeah, that, that's that's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, these Ravagers, I'll just jump back to that. Um, there's a mutiny on board and, you know, they turn against... And this so felt like not a kid's movie when they were just releasing people out into space. And what part when they all get stabbed and turn on each other or when they're out in space just getting, um, you know, ch- eventually cho- their life getting choked out of them? <laughs> you know, their, their, their team members are just yelling at them as they're dying, you know, enjoy, yelling at at them in joy. Both of those bits were horrendous for, <laughs> for kids, I would have thought. But as well, there's a cave full of bones that yeah. they introduce. Yep. And the big reveal is that Ego, who's Peter Quill's father, uh, he's been having children for millennia. None of them have possessed the gene of a celestial kind of god. And until now, you know, uh, Peter Quill's Star-Lord, though we didn't realise it in the first film, is immortal. He can't be killed, which is why he was able to handle an Infinity Stone and stuff. But basically, he brings him to his planet. We find out that Ego points out that he has the light within him, which results in him making a ball of light. And then they play catch, which is a nice little moment. (laughs) Did you laugh at that moment? Yeah, it was kind of cute. Yeah, like, I thought um, it was hilarious. We were the only ones laughing at our cinema because that just how comical it is. They're cat playing catch with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Another part that we laughed at, nobody else seemed to like, was when um, he thinks about his friends, uh, briefly Quill, uh, just as um, Ego is telling him about, you know, taking over the whole universe or whatever, he thinks about his friends and family and there's a brief shot of him and Rocket floating in, in air. They're smiling yep. at each other. That was hilarious. <laughs> All the nice moments he's had, yeah. Yeah, that no, was not too bad. Um, but there's a cave full of bones and that's all the previous children he's had. And when that's revealed, that's kind of gross and sickening. And he's just one by one brought them back to his planet and killed them because they haven't had the the gene of being a god or a half god, which is crazy dark, <laughs> you know. And I don't know how kids would sort of process that, but anyway. Yeah, there's really d- just 
even brutal themes of him putting in a tumour into his mother and yes. killing her. And we don't never, like the way I understand it, he loved us so much he didn't want to return, he wanted in no way to return back to Earth because he'd never come back and he had to continue on with what he believed was his purpose, taking over the universe. And so he put a tumour in it to kill us to make sure he'd never come back. But we never hear him say that. He gets shot at um, before um, Kurt Russell can finish his monologue or whatever. But that that is such a brutal theme, um, you know, for rel- relatively a kid's movie. And I'm for all for heavy themes in, in movies. But, yeah, there was some, like, we, al- we also get those shots of planets um, with uh, I'm assuming a lot of people dying from that really awful design blue goo. I was just taking, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, for a beautiful movie like this, just to see some really crappy design there, I was like, oh, God, come on, guys, you can come up with something better than that blue goo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his ultimate plan is that nothing exists in the universe except him. And I guess any offspring that he has, you know, will also survive uh, if they possess this kind of God gene. So he's immortal until he isn't in the film. And um, he basically has planted these things all over the all different planets. And when he's got the power of another celestial god, which is Peter Quill, the two of them combine and he's able to access all of these plants on all these other planets and basically take them over with this kind of goo, which is the weirdest kind of metaphor for spreading his seed. Um, <laughs> I thought that could have been better designed as well. Oh, you're the, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I don't have funny, a solution, by the way. I'm, I just didn't like it. I don't know if that was a homage to the actual movie The Blob with Steve McQueen, but, you know, whatever. I just wasn't for it. <laughs> and you're right as well. Um, he didn't finish his monologue, but you absolutely got the point, which was that he went back to Earth three times and he knew if he went back a fourth time that he would never come back because he loved her. And so he put a tumour in her head, which killed her. And I love the line where Peter Quill says, you shouldn't have killed my mum with a tumour and smashed my cassette Walkman or whatever he says. <laughs> um, how he puts the two of them in the same sentence, like they're both the most important things in his life. Because, yeah, it gets smashed. Yeah, well, that's the only thing he's got left from his mother. That was his big gift before he ran out of, on her before she died. So that was huge, you know. Uh, I feel sorry for um, Michael Rooker's character because he knew what was happening. All those kids he delivered, he only found out later that they're all dying and he tried to save uh, Quill and he wasn't prepared to bring up a kid in such a harsh environment. So his best teachings was to be as brutal as possible to the kid to toughen him up to be a, a, a ravenger. You know, you know that, that was the best parenting he could give. And it's so tragic that Quill only discovered that at the very end but and his own father sacrificed himself for, for him. You know, he, he literally sees his dad die in his arms in space. And not only that, he finds out his father is God. He dies in his arms as well, turns into dust. And <laughs> yep. then his mother, he found out, you know, he, he's reminded that how his mother died of a tumour caused by the father. It's really tragic what happened um, to Quill. Maybe Chris Pratt didn't do the best of job of carrying that emotional weight, but my whole audience was almost tearing up, was pretty much crying when he played the that, on the Zoom. Everyone's listening to the Zoom. That was a great joke because <laughs> no one listens to the Zoom. Everyone listens to the iPad iPod, right? Of course, <laughs> yes. Um, and he plays that song um, at the very end about parenthood and all, all the rest. Cat of, Stevens, yeah. Yeah, and it was just so beautiful. And then um, Groot 
is there wanting to listen to the song as well. And you also got that father and son moment there because they're, they're raising Groot. You know, he's a much nicer parent than Michael Rooker ever was, uh, Yondu. Yondu but, um, and, and it shows how much, how spoiled Groot is play, playing the video game and, you know, he's heading into his teenage years. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the post credit scenes, exactly, where, um, Groot, we've seen him as a grown-up now. He's a baby. We're expecting Volume 3 for it to be Teenage Groot. It's kind of surly, emo, video game playing Groot, which I think will be a lot of fun. And he'll have a lot more emotional swings and everything like that, which I'm sure Michael uh, James Gunn will have a lot of fun with. I just wanted to finish my thought from before. Taserface had a lot of value for my cinema. Every time they said Taserface, everyone was laughing. The biggest one was when they he calls up the High Priestess from the golden yep. planet and says, tell them that Taserface sealed their doom. And she's like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she bursts out laughing. His final moments in existence, somebody laughing at his stupid decision to call himself Taserface. <laughs> now, didn't this film have more David Hasselhoff than you thought it would? <laughs> My whole cinema laughed when he physically actually came in at the most dramatic moment. And that, that's the brilliance of James Gunn, you know, just to have that really shocking revelation of, of who his father is and, and everything like that and to weave in that joke in there and then immediately pull it back to be shockingly tragic about the revelation of the mother dying and everything like that. That's just brilliant, just layers and layers um, in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's really good. And as well, when he's fighting his dad, he turns into Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, they're just kind of rock things. Yeah, it does nothing. It just <laughs> yeah. doesn't turn the tide or anything. No, 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 nothing like that. They mentioned Groot is too adorable to kill. And I just, I saw the merchandising go crazy for that as well. That 700 jumps where they're doing the kind of jump to hyperspace and stuff. That was hilarious to my, my whole audience. Everyone was loving the distortion of faces. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's, it's Drax. Everything Drax said. Oh, that, that's the one that stole the show. My for, my favourite one was when he goes, we don't have friends, we have family. No one gets left behind except for maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought again of our Fast and Furious podcasts. Now we have a new collected family, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, the family unit. They're back. I'm surprised Groot didn't deliver those lines because <laughs> he's played by Vin Diesel. Yeah, but I mean, he would have said, I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot. And everyone would have gone, yeah, you're right, we are a family Groot. <laughs> it might not have landed the same. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, he gives up immortality, uh, Peter Quill. He says, you're immortal, you're a god. If you, you know, kill me, you'll be just like everyone else. And then he says, what's so wrong with that? And, you know, watches him die in his arms. And it's this, like, he's now the everyman that we thought he would be. Chris Pratt, of course, him just blown up in the recent, like, few films he's done um, to A-list. And now his character in Peter Quill is so relatable because he's basically the last man on earth that we see in the films. You know, he's living this fantastical Knight Rider-esque kind of adventure. And he's given up the fact that he could be a god, which... It's kind of like the plot of Hercules. Um, in the cartoon Hercules, he at the end becomes a god and he gives it up for a girl. Um, what did you think of the romance here between Gamora and Peter Quill? Well, it was set up 
uh, one of the punchlines of it, of course, was from Drax and the brilliant character of the Mantis or something, the, the empath. Yep. Um, it could read emotion. <laughs> I know it was in, it blew it up for a lot of people because it played in the trailer. But when she goes, "You have sexual feelings, strong feelings for that la- for that person there," and then Drax just start loving. Oh, she just told your deepest, darkest desires. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I love the romance and the small, the nice dance that they did there to Sam Cooke's um, song. I can't remember the name. It was one. It's actually one of my favorite songs that played on Ali. Yeah. Oh, just absolutely beautiful and they build it up and build it up and i think they're officially together now by the end of the film i think well the last thing she says is it's one of those unspoken things which is what he does a whole monologue about their relationship and how they have this sam and diane from cheers thing that's unspoken and will they won't they that if they both characters admit it then the show will lose ratings because you know the tension is what keeps people tuning in and so at the end the tension's still there they didn't kiss they're not really together They spent the whole film dancing around the issue of whether or not they should be together and they're dragging it into the third one, which is clever because now people will watch the third one and go, will they get together? And it's sort of fascinating. It's got this kind of, um, you know, William Shatner in Star Trek, how he sort of hooks up with other coloured girls sort of thing. It sort of plays on that. Um, It plays on the fact that there are leads, you know, um, that they're the only... I guess, humanoids that can get together in this film. Drax is never going to hook up with anyone. They sort of implied that he and Mantis at least had a friendship at the end of this film, but But he spent the whole film saying how ugly she was. Yeah, she's not attractive enough. (laughs) And dry, like, retching (laughs) vomit. (laughs) Just to be clear, who is actually in the Guardians of the Galaxy by the end of the film. I love it how they're very notorious. We have the High Priestess constantly referring to them as the the Guardians and then um, Yondo actually saying, no, we can't actually kill... Um uh, one of them because we don't we'll be everyone will hunt us down for killing one of the guardians so they are n- notorious in throughout the whole galaxy you know so who officially is in the team by the end of the film well um peter quill star lord gamora drax is still in the team groot's a baby but by the end credits you know um we see he's going to be teenage groot rocket's still in the group yondu's dead uh nebula's gone off to fight thanos I guess Mantis is sort of hanging out with them. Sean Gunn, who's the director's brother, he plays Craglin and he has the um, the weapon of Yondu, the kind of arrow at the end he's practicing. Which hilariously stabs into uh, Drax. Drax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's screaming at the end. That was fantastic. <laughs> I wish he dropped the fin off his head, you know, and kicked it away. <laughs> but, yeah, he's definitely going to be part of the group now, obviously, because he did refer to Quill, Quill as his captain. Yeah. I was confused, though. They sort of burnt up that um, fin with Michael Rooker's body. Um, oh, okay. You sort of I see didn't it dissolve. That. Yeah. But then he has another one. Like, I thought it was a prototype. Maybe there wasn't two in existence, but he's wearing one at the end and practicing with the arrow. So, anyway, um, didn't quite land. But um, for me, one thing I did notice, and there was a lot of, like, good stuff to love about this film, but I did notice every now and then when they'd be sitting around or standing around, there were bits that looked like a set. And uh, I know they're alien planets, and maybe alien planets look like sets, but uh, some of them... You know, you can see the boulders and rocks and things that are painted and and it's sort of a little pet peeve of mine, but I only noticed it a couple of times, so it was pretty good. And like you say, that sludge 
that uh, was taking over planets. It wasn't that imaginative, and we have seen it in a few other films. You know, Green Lantern had Sludge, and you know, just kind of a overpowering the blob type thing, I guess. Yeah, that bit with the tape and the bomb, uh, where Groot is, you know, he's thinking of <laughs> taping over the the button with the bomb uh, because you know he's going to push it, is from the trailer. And I'm very surprised that something in the third act, so deep in the third act, would be, you know, part of the trailer, part of the promotional. Well, I completely um, missed. I don't think I saw much of the trailers leading into this film. I did see one which plays one of my favourite songs, The Chain by Fleetwood Mac, and I did see the trailer for that. I don't remember the tape gag being in that trailer. So when I saw saw it in the movie, I was completely blown away. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And just how he's, uh, especially when he gets to Drax and he goes, well, scotch tape do? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, he doesn't have scotch tape. Then why would you say? <laughs> <laughs> Duct tape, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene was maybe at the beginning of the first trailer I saw. Uh, I don't know which one it was, but... Yeah, they did a whole bit about, you would have tape, you know, and then when Groot runs off down the tunnel with the bomb, he says, we're all going to die, and then it's just a quick montage and then says Guardians of the Galaxy. So um, it was kind of a a memory for me, just like the Mantis scene where they embarrassingly say Peter Quill's secret. Um, oh, that was in the trailer, was it? Yeah, yeah. That was in the I, trailer I think I remember too. that actually, yeah. Yeah, so that was fine, but, I mean, it, you can only sort of hide so much of the movie... Um, and one thing they hid really well was Sylvester Stallone, who, you know, he only appeared in three scenes total, one of which was post-credits. Um, but he had a nice presence to him, and there was kind of a weird element of maybe seeing a spin-off, hey? Yeah, no, there was with that, with his own group as well, um, which would I think would be fantastic if we saw, saw them, because I, I love Sylvester Stallone. I think his action movies are fantastic. And that little um, helmet that spoke to him, uh, out of the group in the post credits, um, it was Miley Cyrus doing the voice. <laughs> oh, really? Apparently. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, you never know with Marvel and with one of the post credit sequence because there was actually five in this movie. I had to look that up as we we're sitting there waiting for them to go off. Um, the high priestess of the gold planet, she builds a new thing called Adam. And is that reference to Adam Warlock or something? I remember him vaguely from the comic books when I used to read them. Yeah, no, that's um, that's exactly what it references, no. Adam Warlock. Really? Yeah. The the Marvel card I have looks nothing like he's from a gold planet. It looks like a just a warlock sorcerer dude. I don't know. I've, these these Marvel cards I got from the early 90s. <laughs> oh, people can look up Adam Warlock. They don't need us to get into it now. But um, look, I feel like the two big emotional beats at the end of this film, obviously Yondu dying, saying, you know, saving Peter Quill and saying he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy, as he flies him off the planet. His death, you know, you think he's just going to be stuck on the planet. They sort of leave him in this kind of sad way. Rocket sort of realises he cares about him and stuff, and then to abandon him is quite sad. But which bit was sadder for you? Was it the fact that Yondu dying in space right in front of Peter Quill, or was it when everybody turned up for the funeral? For me personally, the funeral was really touching because his efforts in the end were recognised. He died and everyone realised he was actually a good guy and what he did for Quill and everything like that. Still, I don't know how that information was transpired. Maybe who would have told Sylvester Stallone's group about that? 
Uh, somebody said, who was it, Rocket or was it uh, Sean Gunn's character? It might have been Sean Gunn's character. He might have transplanted. Yeah, he, he might have told them everything because he, he seemed the most happy that they were all giving him that uh, sort of uh, fireworks funeral at the very end, uh, which was really, really touching. Um, but I agree that that got me as well more so than his actual death. Yeah, no, yeah, just just something about it that people recognise how much effort he put into those last moments, and you and that it just makes you happy. And um, yeah, like, jeez, oh, I'm trying to think the emotional things that really well, hit me. The music was swelling. Let's be honest, there were tons of ships, and whenever sort of Sylvester Stallone turns up and you know honours somebody, this is like you know. It was a big emotional moment. I feel like Yondu dying, we had a bit of time to realize. He only had one kind of um, shield and rocket and whatever, and he was flying up into space with Peter Quill, and you're like, you had time to realize he wasn't going to make it. And also having seen other members of his crew just get jettisoned off into space, you sort of were prepared for it more maybe. Whereas I'd completely forgotten about Stallone's character. I thought, oh, that's his cameo there. That's fine. And when everyone turned up, I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, you know, more overwhelmingly emotional than I thought it was going to be, really. Absolutely. And just shows the power of having death in films and, you know, how much that affects people. I hope they don't pull a Sam Jackson thing like he didn't actually die. You know, he's back at the end. Uh, you know, uh, um, I, I know we definitely saw his body get cremated and, you know, his particles go off into space or whatever. So I'm hoping the character is actually dead and that he doesn't come back in like the next movie. Although, you know, James Gunn said he won't do a movie without Michael Rooker. So he'll probably come back as a different character maybe. But an another interesting moment in the film for me was how bad they treated Groot when they're all getting drunk and after they killed a lot of the crew members of um uh, of uh uh yondo's uh t team and, yeah. and they're getting drunk and then they're dressing up um groot into one of their own costumes and they're spilling beer all over him and he just like wow you know it, it's a really good setup to when groot finally chases down the other guy but if you think about it an adolescence killed an adult <laughs> you know it shouldn't have been Groot should have punished him but I don't think he should have killed him I can see what you're saying but he sort of just casually throws him <laughs> and, yeah, and you don't need to worry he about where he lands he was murdered Dave he murdered someone at a very young age <laughs> yeah well as well how did they get that tiny little suit for him made like did they previously have another pet or a monkey they or something? They said take him to the tailor. So I'm assuming someone on board can craft um, uh, clothes for them. And so yeah, he, might, right. he or she <laughs> might have crafted a, a costume for Groot. But just, just seeing how they're spitting on him, throwing alcohol on him, you know, and then, yeah. and then his face just how, walking away miserably, you know, it was really well done. I mean, it made Groot so relatable. And the bit where Groot, who doesn't understand things, they ask him to go and get the... Uh, you know, the mohawk controller bit that's missing from Yondu. And he brings back piece by piece, he brings back like a desk. He brings back a severed toe. Like he just keeps bringing the wrong thing. The eye, which was uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, built up in the first one as well. Just something that Rocket finds so funny for whatever reason. Yeah, and it was very funny. Um, there were so many kind of entire audience laughs. Like I had such a great time. Yeah, just look, the whole film experience flew by, even though I've noticed now it's two hours and 17 minutes. Chris Pratt said the first film, there was no expectation. And when it was a big hit, everybody loved it. Everybody was so happy. But the second film comes this weight of expectation and they've nailed it. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's much darker than the first one. Although a lot of people do die in the first one, I think one of the first, uh, one of the best deaths. We didn't cover Guardians in the on our podcast. The first one, <laughs> funny enough, but one one of the best deaths in the first movie was when the Nova Prime support rocket. Um, Reavers, is it or Reapers? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting. I think it's Reavers. Reavers. Um, I'm getting confused with Logan here, another Marvel franchise uh, movie. Hang we on just a reviewed. second, I've written Ravager. Rav- oh, it might be Ravager. That sounds Ravagers. right. Because Reav- I'm getting confused with Logan. But one of the best deaths was when the Ravagers were supported by the Nova Prime, and they build they build that net to try and hold off Thanos's son from dropping in with the um, Infinity Stone, and they're all dying off one by one because they can't hold it. And that guy who was uh, he called them what a bunch of a holes. Eventually, he dies off, and Rocket goes, you know, he's really disappointed that he couldn't support him. That was a really good death, but. In this one, we get so many people dying. Like, I was really shocked that they didn't kill off that mother holding that baby in some distant planet when that blue goo was coming over them. And I would have loved to have seen a bit more of the Nova Prime having to deal with that blue goo starting to pour onto their planet. Just maybe a shot of Glenn Close going, set up security, find out what this is. Just something like that, just to acknowledge the the previous film a bit more. But, you know, there is a lot of death in this movie. Um, And and it's much darker than the first one, following the tradition, I guess, of what Star Wars set up with Empire Strikes Back. This is a very, very dark Marvel movie, with just just considering how many people actually die in this film. But also, it does tend to answer all the questions that were unanswered from the first volume. Like, you leave it wondering who his dad is, and like, yeah, finding that out was just fantastic to kind of close that loop you feel like it's a much more satisfying story. No, I think it was really good and like probably the best sequel Marvel has done since maybe Winter Soldier. Yeah, no, that's that's a great comparison because I love Winter Soldier and absolutely, yep. Yeah, and there was little to dislike about this film really. You just come away with a really nice positive vibe and I think part of it is that it's basically set to a soundtrack. Um, the first soundtrack, volume one of Guardians of the Galaxy sold crazy big it was i don't know platinum i can't remember what it went uh but this one's going to do the same yeah. you know D- and james gunn utilizes the music so well yeah and, and though you're right that whole uh yondu arrows arrow sequence it felt a couple of times like they found a way to play a song you know intentionally within the film so that they would have a bit of music while they fought um which felt a little forced because i mean you can just play a and song drawn out and that's fine i mean mostly it was a lot of fun. And the Zoom means we move forward a little bit in time, maybe, and get a few more modern songs and, um, you know, just enjoy the next film to the same sort of style and soundtrack. And I can't believe that I have to correct myself, otherwise I'm never going to live with myself, but the the song that Gamora and uh, Quill were dancing to was... Um Bring It On Home To Me by Sam Cooke, which is, as they said in the movie, one of the great greatest songs ever made by one of the greatest singers ever made in human, human history. <laughs> I, um, I loved a couple of the lines. I'm just going to rattle them off. Kurt Russell saying, yes, I have a penis, <laughs> which I love the fact that Drax, um, you know, forced him to talk about his love life with Peter Quill's mum. I'm Mary Poppins. 
when he doesn't know who Mary Poppins is, they don't understand the Earth references, David Hasselhoff and so on. Yeah, I like in the first one he references uh, Footloose, Kevin Bacon has to rescue a town or something like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, Batista yelling, or Drax really yelling, my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not many people picked up on that. I actually had to ask my friend who laughed at that moment. I go, what did he say? And he goes, oh, my nipples. I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> In sort of that uh, Star Wars traditionally kind of way, you know, it ends with a funeral, which was Yondu's funeral in this case. Just the words spoken at the funeral, it all just seems like a wonderful setup for the next film. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about you, but uh, Guardians are also going to appear in Avengers Infinity War. So we are going to get to see them again before Volume 3. Uh, just a quick shout out to, there was an Aussie in this film, Lloyd. Uh, did you catch who they were? No. Okay. Uh, the main golden girl covered in the golden paint. The high priestess. Yep, the high priestess. Uh, Aisha, Aisha, what was her name? Anyway, uh, Elizabeth Debicki is an Australian actress who um, she played Aisha. And um, yeah, you know, supporting Aussies. Good on you, Elizabeth. I think uh, fantastic work and, you know, kind of steals all the scenes she's in. Guys, uh, we've got a YouTube channel as well as the podcast and you can check out we've uh, put up a video about the five post credit scenes in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy so if you're interested in seeing a few pictures uh, there's a video there as well Lloyd do you want to tell them about uh, the obscure videos we do Guys, we review obscure movies on our YouTube channel, but with a famous star, so you'll either see them at the very beginning of their career or at the very end of their career, but it's uh, really interesting movies you, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have heard of, and we've reviewed them on our channel from Tom Hanks to Brad Pitt, from, jeez, uh, who else, Andy Garcia, and, uh, you know, all kinds of actors uh, we, we got there. And you, you'll you'll find these movies really terrible. It's probably best you don't watch them. And our if you watch our review, you'll find out why you haven't heard of these movies. <laughs> and as well, the month of May 2017, we're actually featuring six videos from the cast of Friends. So um, Matt LeBlanc will be in a very obscure film, Jennifer Aniston, everybody, the main six people from Friends, we're going to find something from their back catalogue. We're going to find an obscure movie you haven't heard of, you haven't seen, and we're going to put those videos up. So subscribe at our YouTube channel. You can find the link at podmeifyoucan.com, but it is basically youtube.com slash podmeifyoucan. Uh, next time on the podcast, it's going to be an interview. We have an interview lined up with an Australian director, and um, his film is about to do some screenings around the nation. So I hope you'll tune in next week and uh, hear that interview. Guardians of the Gal Galaxy Volume 2 is in cinemas now and uh, you can check it out. Maybe 3D is the way to go. What do you reckon, Lloyd? Yeah, if that's your thing, yeah, definitely. I, I, I really have a nostalgic feeling for 3D. I'm just disappointed that a lot of great TV companies aren't making 3D TVs anymore, so I don't know how I'm going to watch Dial M for Murder down the line. Maybe they'll come out with something, a VR headset I can wear. But, um, yeah, it'll be great to see House of Wax in its, you know, 
intended form because I think um, they're very talented directors out there that can definitely push the art form. And it's disappointing that 3D is really going down the drain, but I think it's the industry's own fault by pushing these movies that weren't shot at all in 3D, you know. Or maybe the, maybe wearing glasses isn't the way to go. Maybe having a screen come down and then having the movie come out in 3D, you know, without having to wear any apparatus or anything like that would definitely help the technology. I'd love to see it. We'll, um, we'll hope for those kind of screens in the future because, as I've said on this podcast before, when you're wearing regular glasses then you put 3D glasses on top, you're constantly adjusting one or the other and I find it annoying. It takes me out of the movie. So. And I don't wear glasses and that pinch on my nose really hurts yeah. after a while. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's something to get used to, isn't it? Well, I uh, just remembered one more thing and it's a line Drax delivered and my audience went nuts for it. So I'm going to leave you with that. Drax says, I have famously huge turds. <laughs> Until next time on Pod Me If You Can, we'll talk to you then. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews. 